Closing arguments. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is at houstonchronicle.com and at the Express News at expressnews.com. Jeremy, how are you? Uh, I'm having a hard time concentrating only on politics when we have a World Series going on at the same time. This is like we're not juggling. Yeah, but no bad uh, mojo here. We're not talking about game one. It's on to game two. Yes. In the World Series. I'm. What I meant to ask you is, how do you feel about working on Saturday? Uh, it's like every weekend during election season, right? You know, it's like it it's every weekend yeah. I'm doing yeah. something. So just add it to the list. Yes. So the candidates are making their closing arguments, and we've had uh, just about a week of early voting here. We'll get to all that in just a little bit. Uh, But the first thing I want to update people on was, and I was watching some of this uh, hearing at the Public Safety Commission the other day. A lot of people probably didn't even know what the Public Safety Commission is, Jeremy. Of course, it's the board that oversees uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety, your state police force. Uh, And the big item on the agenda was Uvalde, the response to Uvalde. And the uh, director, Steve McGraw uh, at DPS, was in the hot seat. I hate to use the cliche, but he certainly was. Did you see this where some of the families from Uvalde were confronting him about DPS's performance on the day of the shooting? Uh, You know, whatever it was, almost six months ago now, which, as you have said quite eloquently, uh, Jeremy, time and again, uh, that even though it was, you know, about six months ago for them uh, and for all the rest of us, uh, for those families, it still feels like every day because they've got a kid who's not at the breakfast table, a kid they're not going to drop off at school and a kid they're not going to pick up. Uh, and so the emotion is just as real today. And, and if you follow along with what these families uh, you know, say on a daily basis, you would think the shooting was this morning, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just torture for these people. Um, and one of the people that they blame, um, and a lot of people would say rightly, is the head of the Department of Public Safety, because his officers were there right along with all these other officers from other agencies, Jeremy. Yeah, let's and let's stress that there were 91 DPS officers outside that school, along with the 376 other officers behind a door that was actually unlocked. And right. children were still in there and needed help. It's, it's always important to put that context in there. Like every time mm-hmm. I hear the state say something, I'm like, there were 91 DPS officers there that could have done something different than what happened. Yeah, Brett Cross, who has been one of the Uvalde family members leading the charge in this whole thing, he was one of the guys who was at the governor's mansion early that morning when you covered the protest at the uh, at the state capitol. I think they were uh, shouting through a bullhorn uh, at Governor Abbott's uh, at his place at the governor's mansion uh, about five in the morning, six in the morning, saying, "Hey, if we can't sleep, you shouldn't be able to sleep either." Cross confronted Director McGraw, and he said that McGraw needs to resign. You have disgraced the state, your position, and the people. The office is still under your supervision. Maldonado, Bancourt, and Kendall have been proven to have been culpable. And with new information dropping just about weekly, we know that there will be others. Well, Steve, the time is now. If you're a man of your word, you'll resign. We're not waiting any longer. Our families, our community, our state has waited long enough. And playing politics will only put the lives of more Texans at risk. Regardless of the election, I expect the terminations and your resignation immediately. Now, when McCraw tried to defend the agency he leads, Cross pushed back. And you have to listen closely to this. There's a little difference in the in the volume between the two guys. But we'll see if we can make all of this out. Go ahead, Maya. Listen, you can get irritated all you want. I lost my damn son. Your anger is not going to outmatch mine, man. Well, that's what I'm not angry. I'm hurt. You know, if anything else, I am absolutely devastated what happened to you, Molly. Are you a man of your word? Absolutely. Across was on CNN later, and he said that he thinks that he'll never get and we will never get the full story on exactly what happened uh, at Uvalde during that shooting. Uh, He thinks that McGraw is never going to give up the information. No, I I really don't, because, you know, he's covering for himself and he's covering for his agent. I mean, and he's made it clear time and time again. He just refuses to do what is right and it's it's disgusting you know how are we supposed to trust you know as texans these these officers of his when he set the bar at children being murdered as not being a failure. Governor Abbott's office was asked about all this, Jeremy, and they gave sort of a statement that, and you've seen plenty of statements like this from 
politicians and office holders over the years. A statement that doesn't really say a whole lot. It says that basically uh, the governor looks forward to you know the results of multiple investigations. Uh, but again, here you have families who still don't know exactly what happened. They're talking directly to one of the people in state government who does know exactly what happened, or, or, or let me say it this way, has a more complete picture of what happened than the rest of us, right? Because they have their internal communications uh, at the Texas Department of Public Safety. Uh, they have seen the videos unedited. They have heard the audio from that day unedited. They've heard all the 911 traffic and everything like that. They have a much more complete picture than what they have shared with us, which has been such a frustration, not just for those of us in the media, not just for Texans at large, but specifically for the parents of those kids who were killed. Yeah, and 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 it, there's just pieces that just still don't make sense, right? You know, so it's like, and, you know, look for 30 years in journalism, I've covered you know state police overstepping and taking command over local police in almost every situation, and the local guys always hate it. You know, the the, the county sheriffs and the local police departments like hate being pushed aside, and the big guys from the state acting like they're the king. But here we have a situation that's completely reversed. You know, DPS had all those officers there, and they're like, oh no. We we got to let the you know Uvalde Independent School District police lead this. It's like none of that makes sense. I have never heard mm -hmm. that happen until this moment. I can't imagine you know in, in another scenario where the FBI or you know the you know, state police force is like, no, we can't do it. It's the local you know independent school district that has no tactical training on this mm -hmm. type of activity. We got to let them go first. That's never made sense. Hopefully at some point we're going to get a better explanation of like what was DPS doing for those 77 minutes. You know, I can't get mm -hmm. over their 77 minutes and everybody in law enforcement knows you're supposed to be doing something. What were they doing? Yeah. And everyone in law enforcement uh, for the last 20 years or so, after the Columbine shooting, it, it, the standard operating procedure has been if you have an active shooter at a school, and again, there's a difference there, an active shooter at a school, it's, it's the at a school part yep. that dictates that police shoot the person immediately, yep. right? You go find him and you kill him. That has been the policy all across this country ever since that shooting in, in Colorado. Uh, and so for this to have been so different, it adds up to nobody. Well, and, 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 and not to depress everybody, but remember, we were getting 911 calls out of that classroom and they still didn't go in. I yeah. like that mm -hmm. tears me up every freaking time I think about it. And like and, and going back to what you're talking about with those parents is like, think about every holiday. You know, you know, you, you saw it from some of the parents, you know, on social media saying it's like it's it's you know, we should be carving jack-o'-lanterns, but we're not. It's like we should mm -hmm. be getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we're not. They're going to get hit with wave after wave of how painful this is because, again, these aren't kids who were, like, you know, sick for years, and then they lost it, and now they're having to adjust to life. This is, like, in an instant, completely unexpected, 19 families and the families of the two teachers are completely changed forever. And, like, I don't think yeah. – I, I don't think – you know, it's – when it's kids like this in an elementary school situation, I, I, is this not just a normal shooting? This is not even a normal school shooting. I can't believe we have to even say that. Right. This is like yeah. little children who were bleeding on the other side of the door. And like, and mm. I, if I were the governor or DPS, I'd be making a lot bigger presence to make sure I understood that and make sure the public knew that we understood how traumatic this is. And it feels like we're not getting enough of that. Yeah. Well, it, there is an attempt, I think, to whitewash some of this. Um, and there are people in state government. There are even some people in our own industry and in the media who will not show you and let you see everything that happened that day. Now, I respect and I have communicated this to them. I respect the folks at the Austin American Statesman and KVU Television here in Austin uh, who made the decision to, for example, edit out the screams of the children when they released the video that they did get from the hallway. Yep. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that decision. Um, they say, and I, I get this argument. I respect it. They say that the families requested for those screams to be taken out. I get that. But how different would this whole debate be? And forget the election for a second. Forget about uh, who's going to win the race for governor or any of that. How would the whole race, uh, or excuse me, how would the whole discussion be different if you could see and hear everything that happened that day. I was talking with a mother 
uh, earlier this week after an ad was released by a group called No It Couldn't LLC. Did you see this? Yes. Um, and there's a couple of these dark money groups now that, and I wonder if Republicans are going to have a little bit different um, opinion about dark money after this election. Um, but Republicans have not in this state chosen to try to uh, reveal who contributors are to these various uh, groups, uh, LLCs or politically active nonprofits, uh, those groups that legally don't have to say who their donors are. Um, I wonder if now that we see a lot of Democratic uh, advertising in that, fa you know, being done in that fashion, if the GOP legislature might have a different attitude about it, Let, put a pin in that. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I was talking to a mother after this ad came out who said that if it had been one of her children, then she would have an open casket funeral. So everybody could see what had happened. Um, this mother was outraged at the fact that we don't have more information about what happened. Um, and when she saw this ad, she was just as disturbed as, as a lot of people would be in watching it. But that's the point, that it is disturbing what happened that day, that it is terrible what happened that day. And to what you said, Jeremy, we still don't have all the information about what went down. Uh, this ad, I'll describe it for you and then we'll play the audio. What you see in the ad is Governor Abbott uh, signing a piece of legislation and Republicans applauding. And then you hear Abbott being asked about, it was an interview, he was asked about um, whether there would be any negative side effects from loosening gun laws in Texas. And as he is saying that, what the ad shows is the image of the shooter in the hallway in Uvalde. And then you will hear the actual shots into the classroom at the end of this. So it's, it's difficult to watch and it's also difficult to listen to. So I'm just warning you about that. Uh, on the ad, at the beginning of it, it there's, a, there's a warning on the screen that says, this is graphic. This is, this is graphic content to hit. So this is what the ad sounds like. And, uh, and then we'll talk about it. After El Paso, Sutherland Springs and Santa Fe, cops warned Greg Abbott that his new gun bills were dangerous. I don't think there's gonna be any bad side effect to it. And I feel pretty good about it passing. Tough to even hear that, Jeremy. Um, and of course, uh, as I listen to it, I can, because I've watched that video more than once, it, it's in my brain. I, it's, it's seared into my memory. Um, and you think about what you said was the kids are in there uh, bleeding on the other side of the door while the, while the cops are waiting. When this ad was released, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, um, there were a lot of elected Republicans who immediately took issue with the fact that it shows an image of the shooter. And the chairman of the special investigative committee in the Texas House uh, that looked into the shooting there, uh, Dustin Burroughs, a Republican from Lubbock, he took issue with it. He said that you should not show the shooter's face. You should not be showing the image of the shooter. This is the kind of thing that can inspire copycats. Because one of the things that we know about some of these young men who do this, and so often is young men, almost always, um, is that they want to be famous. Can you imagine the sickness that goes along with wanting to be famous for that, right? I mean, this is this this is just awful. I mean, my opinion is you should either be shot by the cops on site or the state of Texas should execute you. I'll buy the ticket to Huntsville for the person. That's just me. Now, these shooters do crave fame, but there's a balance between telling people exactly what happened letting people know exactly what went down so that the public policy discussion around the issue can be full and robust. And again, I think that for, and if you don't hear anything else I say during the show, listen to this, I, you know, you know, that podcasts or Maya, you know, that radio, any audio product is a secondary medium, right? That means that people do other things while they're listening. So you're probably, you may be working out, you may be doing some, uh, you know, chores around the house, your honeydew list, you're getting that done. Stop for just a minute. And I'd like you to turn up the show and listen to me. Because I think I owe it and you owe it. Every Texan and American owes it to the 19 slaughtered babies and the two teachers who were killed to think about this question. How would this whole debate about guns and gun safety and gun violence be different 
if you could see everything and hear everything that happened that day, if you could hear the screams, people will say that I'm a little extreme because I want people to be able to hear the screams. I don't want you to hear the screams, but it is what happened, right? Jeremy, what one word do you think the kids were screaming out that day? It was interesting. I asked a, I asked a, a talk show host in Austin, a man, that question, and he couldn't think of it. Then I asked a woman talk show host that same question. And what she said was, mommy, you know, they were screaming out for their mothers. I talked because I'm so well sourced in Texas government. I haven't seen the video unedited or heard the audio unedited, but I know people who have. And people have told those people have told me that what they saw and heard will haunt them for the rest of their lives. And so that's why they don't necessarily agree with releasing everything because it would haunt people for the rest of their lives. My point would be that it should haunt everyone forever until we do something real about it. Well, absolutely. And, and, and let's, and remember that these were, you know, it's not like some group of children. They're actual people. It's like, it's, it's, it's Maite, it's Xavier, it's Tess. It's like, these are real kids. It's like, and I, I, I like to remind people of the names of these people and the families to look in the Cazares' eyes and, you know, talk to them and feel that pain. It's important for us to not, you know, just try to put this on a shelf and go about our regular lives. I know everybody, you know, like it depresses people to have to kind of think about it, but that's how we have to address it. And it's like, that's how you have to have an honest discussion about what happened. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, what did these kids go through? You know, it's like, and not just pretend it didn't happen. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. It's a, uh, it's a tough discussion, but I think it's one that, that has to be had now to the politics of uh, all of the, the, the last year <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to this, to this race that has gone on forever. Really? When did Beto announce? I'm trying to remember. It was last when he actually November. Made it was his official right. announcement. But right. He so was it's kicking around the January. Right. Before, and so, so it's been. It's been going on longer than that. So, the, so, so now it's the closing arguments of everything that we've been seeing for, for the last year in this governor's race. Um, governor Abbott in Houston was appearing on Fox News Channel. Where were they, Jeremy? What was, what was this event? Uh, he and Laura Ingram were doing an interview. Yeah, Fox News was doing a live show uh, from Austin or from uh, Houston uh, as part of a program they're doing where they're doing like live things within the states. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they ended That's up cool. having this thing. Um, uh, I think at the Wortham Theater. Um, okay. So a really cool venue, you know, to have the discussion. But yeah, this was all aimed at trying to uh, focus on the Hispanic uh, electorate, uh, which is okay. kind of interesting coming from Greg Abbott and Laura Ingram, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, neither of which are that yet, but but more to it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so here's part of what Abbott said to Laura Ingram on Fox. No governor has gone down to the Rio Grande Valley more than I have. We're constantly reaching out and connecting with the Hispanic community. And like your other guests tonight, the policies that I'm running on are the policies that the Hispanic community supports. They believe in hard work, entrepreneurs, and hence they want a state that creates jobs and a strong economy. As we gather here tonight, Texas has the fastest growing economy of any state in the United States. Also, also Texas... Since, since these folks reelected me, Texas has added far more new jobs than any other state in America. Texas is the place for economic opportunity. But at the same time, Hispanics, whether you're on the border or in Houston, Texas or North Texas, they don't want Biden's or the Democrats open border policies. They want a secure border. And because Biden is not doing it, they have to have a governor step up and secure the border. And that's exactly what I'm doing by taking unprecedented action to build a wall to deploy the National Guard to secure the border. And those who make it in, we're going to bust them up to sanctuary cities, to New York, Washington, D.C., and elsewhere. Okay. So since they are focusing on Hispanics, do we really, if we're looking at the polls uh, as we get to the end of this race, Jeremy, do we really have a sense of what Hispanic folks in this state think about the positions of Abbott and Beto O'Rourke and, and what they actually think about these candidates, because what, everything I've seen is kind of all over the map. Yeah, absolutely. And you saw it during that show that at one point, Laura Ingham showed a graphic that showed the race was dead even among Hispanic voters, that they were split 48-48, you know, Beto and Greg Abbott. Uh, but yet 
that same week, there was a poll uh, from Univision News and the LBJ University of Texas poll that showed that the race was more like 60 to 40. It's like, okay, that's a huge difference, you know, in favor of Beto O'Rourke in that case. And so, so why is it so different? Well, I, I have a story out, you know, in the Houston Chronicle this weekend about just kind of how polling has this huge blind spot in Texas and it's Hispanic voters. It's like the problem, okay. like uh, compared to other states, like in Florida, when people register to vote, they self-report if they're Hispanic or not. And so they're like boxes to check. Texas doesn't have that. There is no way for a pollster then to get voter data to know who's Hispanic. And so what mm. they do, they only rely on whether or not they have a Hispanic surname. So anybody okay. in Texas who is Hispanic and is, you know, maybe has an Anglo sounding last name or something mm -hmm. else is completely invisible to the pollsters who will never call hmm. you because you are not a Hispanic voter in their mind, even though obviously your DNA would scream, yes, it is. So so for so for a, a high-profile example, they would not call George P. Bush to check what he thought. Correct. They would absolutely right? miss a George P. Yeah. Bush. That, you know, there's no reason to kind of give him a call. What's the point, right? We were looking for Hispanics. That's not a Hispanic. The last name Bush, what? And so you can see, now, now, look, look, every state has that problem. But when you have as many Hispanics as Texas has, remember, the U.S. Census Bureau is saying that we're, we're now majority Hispanic. There's like you know, mm -hmm. more Hispanic you know, you know, people in Texas than there are you know, Anglo. And so you're like, mm -hmm. okay, so if that's the case and we can't see them all when we're polling them, that shows you why the polling for Hispanics is wildly everywhere and how that throws off everything. That's why every poll in 2018 underestimated how well Democrats were doing. And then mm -hmm. in 2020, every poll in Texas completely overestimated what Democrats were doing because we just don't know what the Hispanic voters are doing. <laughs> and it's a huge blind spot. It's like taking 60% of the electorate or, or not even that much, but, but more like 50% of the electorate and just say, okay. So the, the way I've kind of thought about this, the way polling's working now, and look, almost everybody mm -hmm. will agree. I, I like a lot of pollsters, but the, the way polling working now is it's, it's like going into a Dave and Buster's and asking for a show of hands of who's going to vote in the <laughs> governor's race. There are no right. Hispanics in the room. There's no black people in the room, and it ain't going to work. Well, and plus, no, people are playing games. They're not going to raise their hands. Yeah. Well, at Dave and Buster's. <laughs> I mean, none, none of it works. Yeah, I'm holding a beer. I can't possibly raise my <laughs> hand. So they looked around the room. They go, who's voting for Lupe Valdez? Okay, it looks like nobody. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they just move on. But but it's it's even worse for black voters. It's, it's crazy. If you look yeah. at the sample size that they're doing for some of these mm -hmm. polls, it's like you'll see a sample yeah. size of like 700 people. And by the time you break it all down, they're only reaching about five to ten black men who are then being weighted and spread out to represent every black voter in Texas. Five to 10 black men completely changed an entire, you know, polling as to where, like who's winning black voters. It's like, we don't know. We can't find them because right. they're not answering phone calls like they used to. It used to be in the old days, you know, the, the, you'd get 20% of people responding to a poll. Now they're telling me mm -hmm. it's 1% if you're lucky. And a lot of polls are less right. than 1%. Like you know, one of the people I talked to in the, in the story, a University of uh, Dallas or U University of Texas Dallas professor was telling me there's mm -hmm. some polls where 0.2% of people are responding. That means you don't mm -hmm. have a random scientific sample size. You can't really statistically make an analysis of what you've got. So, Wow. Well, you cracked the code on what's going on with polling. Maybe they'll – Pay attention in the polling industry. Get, and make some well, changes. They, the thing is, it's, they it's sort of like they know it in the polling yeah. industry, and they keep telling yeah. us we know we have all these that holes, but we're still going to put this out. And us <sighs> folks in the media have this tendency to write screaming headline. You know, know, Abbott's winning or Leeds grown or Leeds shrinking. Right. It's like none of it's possibly true. <laughs> the reporting, right. They, they can't all be correct, right? But the polling, it's like, and you know, I'm not a big, like I said, I'm not a media critic. There's plenty of people who do that for a living. Yeah. I do, I, you don't need that for me. But at the same time, and you've said this, Jeremy, not every poll is news. Exactly. It's, it's, like, it's, like, a, it's like a rat getting a food pellet when they, you know, push down the right lever. 
Uh, just stop. Stop the, with these poll stories. Well, and the last thing I'll say about it is like – so you'll notice in the story that I ended up writing, I kind of made sure people knew where some of these polls were being conducted. So so some fine human beings in Boston, Massachusetts at Emerson University or Quinnipiac University right. in Connecticut, they're making they're assumptions great. about the Texas Hispanic electorate. Just add that all together and think about that for a minute. We have a lot of people in New England trying to figure out how to reach our Hispanic voters without knowing where they are. They are, they are, they're trying their best. They're, they're nice people. Yes, they, they are. That's fine the way you should people. say it. They're very, <laughs> very nice people. So more of the closing arguments here. Uh, Governor Abbott has an ad out uh, that is very positive. We, we've seen a lot of the attack ads, Jeremy. Of course, we've covered all of that. Now with the closing arguments, a lot of uh, very positive messaging, a lot of positive reinforcement of the candidate. Check this out. Thirty-eight years ago, his back was broken, but his spirit was not. Greg Abbott never gave up. It's that same determination that drives Greg Abbott to keep Texas strong. Keep Texas strong. They would say that Beto does not want to do that. Here's Beto's closing argument uh, advertisement uh, in which he is still on the attack. But listen, he's kind of being a little more nice about it. He, he's, he's basically saying, look, Texas is screwed up. This is his argument. Texas is screwed up and Greg Abbott doesn't really want to screw it up, but it is screwed up with him in office. I don't think Greg Abbott wakes up wanting to see our kids shot in their schools for our property taxes to go up $20 billion or for the grid to fail. But after eight years, he's been unable to fix these problems. He's failed us. As governor, I'll protect our kids. I'll pay our teachers. I'll expand Medicaid. I'll lower our property taxes, and I'll fight to make sure every woman makes her own decisions about her own body. So it is a uh, sort of constructive argument at the end there, Jeremy, about what he would do. Here's one of the problems I think for for Beto. If you went out and you asked, and this is not anywhere near as scientific as the polling you were talking about, but if you but if you went out and you asked five people on the street, why is Beto O'Rourke running for governor? I think they'd have a hard time answering it. Uh, and this is because you heard in that ad, this is a 30 second ad, and he's putting this big list of things that he, that need to be fixed, right? There doesn't seem like there's a there's a main theme for for what Beto's campaign is. Does that does that sound right to you? I, I can't think what it is. Yeah. I, you know, what's what's the big how about this? How about something that would say, let me let me hearken back to the years of Rick Perry. He had these great positive ads. I'm, I'm thinking going back to 2006. 2010. Um, of course, he had some attack ads as well, but his 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 big uh, positive ads. He would say, "I'm proud of Texas. How about you? I'm proud of Texas." As if if you don't vote for for Rick Perry, you're ashamed of Texas, right? I would always sort of joke that the ads ought to say, "Texas is big. What you think?" Now, he was really good at that sort of stuff. Abbott is. Uh, improving at that sort of stuff. You heard the, uh, you know, the, the positive story there. Uh, I always thought that, and you know, Abbott in a lot of ways has problems connecting with an audience. You've seen him speak many times. When he talks about his personal life story, it's very inspiring. And I remember seeing him, I think it was the 2014 uh, Republican convention in Fort Worth. I think that's where it was. Um, yeah. And he said uh, that, look, I was, you know, disabled because of this accident, but I didn't let that keep me down, didn't let it hold me down. And he talked about uh, the way he would exercise in Houston, where he was working and, and living. And what he would do is he would go to a, uh, a parking garage in his wheelchair, and he would go all the way to the top of the parking garage, going up the ramps that the cars go up. And he talked about how hard it is once you are almost to the top of that garage moving those wheels on the wheelchair, one more rotation, just, just one more, just one more. And he kept saying just one more. And as he was doing that, the crowd was getting into it. And then he said, wait, you know, if you will just knock one more door for me, you will talk to one more voter for me. He had this rhythm going with it. And I had never seen him connect that way with a crowd before. It was actually, it was really good. Um, I, you've got the positive thing there from Abbott, keep Texas strong. You got Beto there saying, now Texas sucks in a bunch of ways. Who's who's winning this message war? I can't figure it out. Yeah, I think and the thing that makes it different for you know Beto O'Rourke is like it's, it's you know let's not sugarcoat this to beat an incumbent governor in the United States uh, is really hard. It's like the reelection yeah. rate is eighty five percent. 
so you're mm-hmm. looking at a 15% runway for Beto to make his case. And he, so he has to go a little negative. He has to tell us why we need to fire this guy. But I'm with you. It's like, I think, you know, mm-hmm. like his message has gotten clearer towards the end here, but he needed to kind of rope all this stuff together. It, like, look, if he wins, so be it. Like, you know, I'm wrong on this, but if he loses, I think the message, like he needs to do something more simplistic, like, you know, enough. Mm-hmm. Eight years has been enough. And just like and, yeah, and, just, right. and to be able to have almost like a bumper sticker thing. It's like enough of mm-hmm. habit or or a or, or change. Yeah. Or like you, you know, oftentimes you gotta find a way to kind of make it a one word kind of thing or a two word type of thing. You know, like Abbott right now I think is doing good with like, you know, focusing on the jobs thing. Like you know, mm-hmm. jobs are great. Vote for me. It's like that was like in Florida. Rick Scott built an entire political career mm-hmm. on everybody needs a job. That was like his whole right. message, and it's like, and it's like, so you just yeah. knew the guy was like, it's the economy. Yeah. I think in O'Rourke's mm-hmm. case, I think he spread the field out. It was like, okay, it was about abortion, it was about guns, it was about all right. kinds of things. But ultimately, mm-hmm. in the end, he had this like, I think the the best part of the message was, you know, for particularly for independents and maybe some squishy Republicans who might think, okay, Abbott's been in there for eight years. It's like. Once you get past eight years, it starts becoming a little long. And so focus enough. on that. Enough. We've had enough of this. This yeah. guy hasn't been able to mm-hmm. change it. Give me a try. It's a theme. It's a campaign theme. Yeah. Right? It, 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 you know, you could have a campaign theme like, and this is this was suggested to me by a Democrat the other day. They said the, you know, the theme could be uh, make Texas big again. Right? Yeah. That Abbott does small things. He focuses on small ball stuff. You know, it's always some little culture war thing. It's always, you know, something it's something about, uh, you know, being a, a little Donald Trump, you know, building a wall down on the border and all this, uh, you know, make Texas big again. That would be Perry-esque. See how I tied all that together? There you go. Um, we just figured it out. This, like, it's like people, if people this, aren't this getting would, free political advice from us, what, what, what are they doing? You know, just write these notes I, down, y'all, and then run for office. <laughs> Have at it. Um, all right. Did you see the cease and desist letter from uh, the Mike Collier campaign uh, to television stations in Texas that are running one of Lieutenant Governor Patrick's? Uh, ads that blast Collier and pa- and Patrick has been on the attack. I think this was, this was the th- I think this was the third attack ad from Patrick directed at Mike Collier. Let me uh, play part of the ad first, uh, and you hear uh, everything under the sun that Mike Collier is just terrible about. This, this is the argument from from Dan Patrick. Mike Collier wants to turn Texas into Joe Biden's America. Mike Collier wants open borders and to eliminate immigration and customs enforcement. Mike Collier wants to increase the business tax. Collier sent a cease and desist letter to television stations asking them to not run those ads, which of course I was not successful. Uh, you know, in um, in working in broadcast for many years, I can tell you that the sales department at whatever um you know, at whatever TV or radio station, they might give up their firstborn before they cancel an ad that, that you know, that's bringing money in. I don't think the <laughs> I don't think the management there uh, is going to take that too seriously. This was the statement from Erin Minsberg, who is a senior strategist for Collier for Texas the, for the campaign. Uh, she said the latest attack from Dan Patrick is an egregious betrayal of the public's trust that further demonstrates his desperation in the final days of a failed incumbency. We're disappointed in Dan Patrick's willingness to lie to the general public, but we are certainly not surprised. It is to be expected from an extremist who has built his career through generating falsehoods, fear, and partisanship. Well, Patrick could not let that stand. He issued a rebuttal to the – there's a lot of back and forth here. He issued a rebuttal to the cease and desist letter, and his rebuttal went something like this. We start a new TV ad. And just two days later, my opponent, Mike Collier, sends a cease and desist letter to TV stations begging them to take it down. Now, let's look at the facts. Mike says, If you line up his policy point of view uh, with my policy point of view, you don't see a whole lot of daylight. Now, let me ask you, don't we all know that Joe Biden wants open borders? He wants to allow boys to play girls' sports. He wants to crush the oil and gas industry and raise taxes. Now, one more time, Mike, what was that you said? You don't see a whole lot of daylight. Mike, those are not my words. Those are your words. The problem with trying to ask that an advertisement be canceled, Jeremy, is that basically in political advertising, you can say almost anything, right? Even if it's, I mean, this is basic First Amendment stuff, and if you think about 
what uh, the threshold is for defamation. Let's say that you know they wanted to say that they that the that Collier was somehow being defamed in these ads, which they didn't actually say that. They just said that it's a lie. Which uh, it yes, campaigns aren't fair. Politics isn't fair. Fair ends in the third grade. We all we all learn that. And and if you were trying to sue somebody for defamation in the context of a political campaign, good luck because everyone you're talking about is a public figure, right? This is what you sign up for when you run for office. Um, you and defamation's hard enough if you're not a public figure, right? I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but what do you make of this back and forth? I, I do think that you know the legality of it aside, or you know asking to pull the ad down, this has gotten nasty in a way that I didn't quite expect, Jeremy. Because as you said previously on on, on another show, um, pa- Patrick almost never previously would even talk about his opponents. He wouldn't even acknowledge. Mike Collier was in the race four years ago. Yeah, well, well, and, and I think Dan, you know, this is where Dan Patrick, I think, is running this campaign well. I'm not saying I'm not predicting for sure he's going to win or anything, but what he's mm-hmm. doing well is that, like, he's coming out of 2018. He sees this incredibly close race, and he's not leaving anything to chance. You know, it's like he is going to use every dollar because, like, the last thing you want to ever do is become Cliff Stearns. Who's Cliff Stearns? Cliff Stearns is a Republican. You're going to have to tell us that. Yeah, Cliff Stearns is a Republican <laughs> in Florida who ended up losing his reelection with $1.2 million sitting in his bank account. He could have oh, spent right. more money, but he didn't because he thought he was going to win. And Dan Patrick's case is like, you have all that money in your bank account. You better use it. Like, use every nickel. He's already right. said he's not running for another office. There is no reason that any dollar should be not used going right. down the stretch here. And I think he's doing that and making sure, like, look, I'm going to take Collier down. Like, you know, sure, some of the public polls, like we've talked about, are you know flawed. But, like, this could be a I, yes. close race, you know, and we're not going to leave anything to chance. It's like I think he's doing the right things to make sure that yeah. he's not – opening the door to losing and like having one of those like, well, we could have spent a little bit more money or we could have done a little bit more to like counter what that guy was doing. So you don't have to go to Florida for a good example of that. Uh, Do you remember uh, a railroad commissioner in Texas named Ryan Sitton who lost a uh, primary a few years back? And here's, and I'm going to tie all this together, Jeremy, watch this like magic. So Ryan Sitton lost and he had, um, about a million dollars sitting in his bank account. And there was a joke in Austin uh, among Republican political consultants. uh, And it went like this. Knock, knock. Who's there? Ryan Sitton. Ryan Sitton who? Ryan Sitton on a million (laughs) dollars. So he lost. Do you know who ran that campaign for Ryan Sitton? Which consultant? I don't know. Do you want to guess? Oh, oh, this is good. Alan E. Blakemore, who is Dan Patrick's consultant. So to your point, he ain't making that mistake again, right? They're going to blow it up. They're going to do everything they can to win this race. And so I think if he's running a different kind of race, there's a lot of reasons for it, including what you said in 2018. It was a lot closer than they had expected. And he's going all out. Patrick has said a version of this, that this is probably going to be his last term in office. Did you see the star power that's being brought to the county judges race in Houston. Yeah, well, Jane Fonda yeah, interesting. was yep. block walking. Yeah, Jane Fonda. They're block walking with Lena Hidalgo, the Democrat. And uh, she said, Jane Fonda said, that personally interacting with voters is the most important thing candidates and their supporters can do if they want to win a race. It's more important than TV ads. It's more important than leaflets and flyers. It shows that you care enough to take time out of your weekend to actually do this because you really believe in the candidate and you have every reason in the world to believe in Lena Hidalgo. She's going to be part of our political life and the life of Texas and maybe beyond for as long as we're going to be alive. Well, not if she loses this race. Um, I think that it, that that's a little bit of a stretch. Um, the, the fact is that I would give the edge to Hidalgo because of the numbers in Harris County. Uh, although I do see all over the state, Jeremy, uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but the um, the turnout during early votes so far has not been great uh, in a lot of places where Democrats really need it to be a lot higher. Uh, in Dallas County, for example, I think they were, as of uh, yesterday, they were down about 60,000 votes from four years ago. Um, and so you have some office holders there who are sweating it a little bit, uh, some Democrats, although I think, you know, countywide in, in Dallas, it's safe 
safe for for Democrats. The, the percentages aren't changing much there. But that math is different in a place like Harris County, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to kind of read the uh, the numbers this year. Uh, uh, you know, everybody be careful on looking at the numbers because there's so many factors involved right now. As like you know, you know, and this sounds silly, but it rained like hell up in Dallas on Monday and Tuesday. You know, the whole DFW area, and that really has an impact on things. You know, a lot of people who may have voted on Monday that's their day off on Monday and Tuesday and like now they're pushed back sure. to another day and then you have the the mm-hmm. mail voting it's like there's some counties mm-hmm. that weren't even reporting their full mail voting like Dallas County was really slow at showing how many mail votes they had in they just like just today they you know the number changed dramatically and it's like and so there's all kinds of weird things going on right now it's like so I, I would tell everybody like ease up on like looking at the numbers because I was originally going to write a story because I thought the numbers in Lubbock were low and like in the mm-hmm. panhandle were low uh, but you know, like, I'm like, okay, let's give this a little bit more time to see if, you know, how this changes over the next week at the end of early mm-hmm. voting, that's the time to panic or not panic, depending on what party you're in. <laughs> well, and, yes. Well, and you, uh, you mentioned, uh, it, it raining, you know, there's a lot of people who will not even go out to do something if it looks like it might rain. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing the degree to which that impacts people. Now, the Republicans also have star power in Houston um, and potentially bigger star power if you're thinking about the specific market, right? The Jane Fonda, legendary and everything. I'm not taking anything away from her, but she's up against Mattress Mac here. Mattress Mac McInvale, who I grew up watching on TV in Houston. He is the reason that all these pitch guys in Houston all scream at the TV, scream at the camera, you know? gallery furniture will save you money. I still know exactly where the original gallery furniture is. It's, it's, it, you know, it's seared into my brain because I can remember him screaming it, right? It's I-45 North between Tidwell and Parker. It's right there. They really will save you money today. All right. You've all heard that, right, yep. Maya? Yep. Maya, you've heard that, right? What's that other one in Houston, Hilton Furniture, where the guy will scream, uh, that's a fact, Jack. And he's, uh, he'll do, you know, he'll say that the, the mattresses are half off and he'll be there with a, uh, with a with a saw, with a chainsaw, you know, like <laughs> cutting the mattress in half and screaming at the screaming at the camera. That's why all these people in Houston do that. When I worked in Dallas and lived there, everything is is a nice jingle about a place. Every place you know pays for a jingle. There's some you know boot town stuff like that. But in Houston, it's everybody screaming. And Mattress Mac was the original for all of that. Yeah, and I, and I would say like in, in this case, particularly in Houston. Certainly people under 50 know who Mattress Mac is far more than they know who yeah. Jane Fonda is. It's like you're going to have to explain <laughs> to people who Jane Fonda was and is. Right. And Mattress Mac, you don't have to even come close to doing because you can't go through Houston without knowing who Mattress Mac is. It just becomes part of right. the DNA of driving through there. <laughs> right. Our listeners in other areas may not even know who we're talking about with Mattress Mac, but everyone listening in Houston knows if yes. I say Mac. You know, Mattress Mac, they know that. So here's Mattress Mac appearing in an advertisement for Alex Mueller, who is the Republican running against Tadago. It said you can tell a lot about a person by the company they keep. So tell me, what does this company tell you about Lena Hidalgo? Three felony charges are all under the watch of Lena Hidalgo, and all three still work for the county. This isn't leadership. We deserve better. Harris County deserves Alexander Mueller, a West Warner who returned integrity to Harris County. Mac, it gets worse. Lena Hidalgo says she expects to be indicted. Well, what Hidalgo said, uh, and she's not incorrect technically, but what, what Hidalgo said is that she believes all of these indictments are political in nature, and so she wouldn't be surprised if she was also indicted as well. She's had three people in her office indicted, and of course the politics of that are fascinating, Jeremy because guess what? The district attorney is not a Republican. The DA is a Democrat. And I have said a version of this before. I'll say it again. Picking a fight with the local DA is maybe the worst thing that uh, an office holder can do. Yeah. Because the DA, the, the, the district attorney, and, and people don't understand this. It's part of my little sermon about all this. The district attorney is locally elected, but it's a state level position. Right. The, the district attorney represents the state of Texas. That's why when somebody gets charged with murder, you know, the the uh, the district, the Harris County district attorney would come in uh, and the case is the state of Texas versus whoever. It's not Harris County versus whoever. Right. So they handle the the you know, the felony indictments and the felony prosecutions um, and a DA. If you think about the power that they have, a DA can either say, let's say. Um, Jeremy, you were accused of, you know, falsifying some documents or something. The, the DA can say, you know what? Doesn't look like anything to me. Who cares? Move on down the road. Or the DA can say, hmm, I wonder 
if we ought to look into this. Maybe we should impanel the grand jury, take a few months, you know, make sure all the I's were dotted and T's were correct and, you know, figure out if anything might have gone wrong here. This is the person who can literally put you in the lockup. Right. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a bad one fight, press conference. A bad fight to pick. It's, it's one yep. press conference and they can kind of ruin your entire political career. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, the, the prosecutors will say things like we're just, and, and while it, they can have it drag out forever in the midst of a campaign. And anytime a reporter asks the DA about it, they can simply say, we're just following where the facts lead. Right. So, and that they just drag it out, you know, just death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. Um, in Houston, I do think that, Mueller could potentially win the race. There are various factors for that. I think that you do give the edge to the Democrat, of course, because of what I said about there being more Democratic voters in Houston than there are uh, Republican ones. Uh, but there's a lot to it. It's the third longest ballot in the United States. The county judges race is way down at the bottom. Do you know how many state district court judges there are in Houston? There are more than 70 in Harris County. I do this for a living. I don't know who all those people are who are on the ballot, right? And we don't, and here's the key, we don't have straight ticket voting anymore But with the one punch. You can't just push the button for all Democrats or all Republicans. Anybody who's going to vote in that county judge's race has to be motivated to do so. And so, Jeremy, I think a big question is, are enough Republicans going to be motivated to get out and vote against Hidalgo to take her out of office? Remember, it was very different four years ago. There was still straight ticket voting. You had a larger political environment that included backlash to Ted Cruz, backlash to Donald Trump, and Beto O'Rourke was giving his, you know, his first big uh, performance as a candidate and really sort of lighting the world on fire for Democrats. That's not happening now in the same way. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's the key point right there. So you know, straight ticket voting is gone, and so the Democrats, uh, like I I heard it throughout Houston. Every time I go to an event, they're like they're trying to tell their people, it's like don't just vote in the governor's race. You got to keep going all the way down that ballot. So you got to keep going through all that to look for the county judge race. You know, it's like that's the same thing's happening on the Republican side too, though. It's like they're having to now retrain all their people. Like it's no longer one butt, y'all. It's like y'all got hit like. You know, three hundred spots before you even find, you know, the race you're, right. you're being told to kind of look for. Yes. It's like you can't. You maybe you don't even remember the names. It's like, and so you're trying to tell these people, you know, like to get all the way down the ballot, and they've never had to do that. You know, Texas has never been a no you know, straight ticket vote state, you know, it's like, it's right. Been a long time. Like, this yeah. has been mm -hmm. a long time coming. And so, yeah, yeah right. it's a real training process. I cannot wait to see like where people drop off on the ballot. Where does the undervote start happening? Does it happen after the governor's race or do they make it all the way, you know, like, you know, or you know, do they just, you know, get halfway down the ballot and then pass out or, or do the judicial races show <laughs> a dramatic yeah. drop off? Cause like you said, oh, right. who knows who's the, you know, the judge Nobody. in the 139th place, you know, it's just not going to, Mm -hmm. be something that jumps to somebody's head. Right. You talked to uh, Governor Abbott uh, this week about something that made some news. Uh, I think you had uh, some of the folks in Las Vegas uh, nervous with, with what was reported out, which is that he is sort of opening the door just a crack, just a little bit, uh, right? It wasn't it wasn't some big pronouncement about casino gambling, but you had my attention, Jeremy. Yeah. I, well, and, and, and you hit the key word there. I made sure to put like he's opened the door a crack. <laughs> it's just a crack. It's not, it's not much, you know, like there's a lot of work that would still need to be done to get casinos in the state of Texas. But up to this point, we've had nothing from the governor that suggested he'd mm -hmm. be even willing to listen to it. You know, campaign right. donations have been flowing into his, to him from Las Vegas people for years now. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And he hasn't really said anything that gives him any hope. You know, the only thing we had from him on the record was him, you know, in 2015 saying he's wholeheartedly in support of the state's prohibition on expanding gaming that's all we have yes and it's like and so everybody kind of built off of that so i pushed his office for like well so you know beto o'rourke is saying he's going to he's willing to look at opening up the state to more casino gambling as a potential mm -hmm. revenue source and, you know because there's all sorts of people obviously going to louisiana and oklahoma to gamble that he thinks yeah. it should be in the state so i posed that to the to the abbott campaign and boom they come back with this like you know if it's done in a professional way you know, mm -hmm. he would consider it there. They don't want gambling yeah. on every corner. You don't want to turn into right. some sort of like, you know, you know, Vegas, you know, where there's like slot machines right. everywhere. But, you know, they say they're open to the discussion. And that in of itself is miles beyond where we mm -hmm. were. But I might, you know, like, and not to be too cynical. He did just get a one million dollar check 
from Miriam Adelson last month, oh. Uh, oh, who that? happens to be, you know, the Las Vegas Sands, you know, one of the three biggest casino operators in the world. Just to point that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sands now, they, they sold their uh, strip properties. And part of it is that, look, the uh, I think with that uh, sale, um, it indicates a few things about the industry. Number one is that the real market, as, as was exposed by the pandemic, the real market for, uh, for casino gambling, and I mean worldwide, is China. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, <laughs> the, when the Asian gamblers could no longer come to Vegas, they just started dropping all their millions of dollars in you know, where they, where they live. And it, that was really tough for the people in Las Vegas after the uh, restrictions were lifted in Nevada. Uh, you know, they saw so much pent up energy and so much pent up business. People go into Las Vegas once again, they've seen record numbers, uh, you know, in the history of the whole city, uh, you know, for people going back there. Uh, I think when he, when, um, uh, and one other thing about the, the marketplace, the biggest markets would be China and Texas. Yep. Right. And, and so they really want to push here. Right. There was one point where I believe it was the Windstar Casino in Oklahoma. The two big ones is the Windstar and the Choctaw. The Windstar Casino north of DFW was the third largest grossing casino on earth. It's all Texas people going yep. up there. When you drive up, when you go to Windstar or, or Choctaw, the whole parking lot is Texas license plates. I mean, we've seen that. Forever. That's, you know, I mean, mile marker. And, you know, when people say, oh, it's a morality question about gambling, uh, a friend of mine in Dallas made this observation. He said, you know, when you go into Oklahoma, mile marker one is a casino. And when you're coming back home, mile marker one in Texas is a porn shop. All right. So throw the throw, throw the morality stuff out uh, when the governor says that it would be well run or, or what was the what was the phrase he used? Some uh, professional, professional. Yeah, the professional. So I think what he means is more like the win or the encore than he means like Harris, right? I, th I think he, he, they want, you know, some beautiful destination casino. I don't know why downtown Houston or downtown Dallas or San Antonio couldn't have a casino like they have in downtown New Orleans, which does not take over the whole downtown. It's one of the things that you can do when you're in New Orleans, but it's not everything that you do when you're there. And in fact, when you talk to people who live in New Orleans, they, they will say that they like the way that it is, that it, that it is there, that you can go to it, but they don't want to be known as a gambling destination the way that Las Vegas is. And here's the thing. People don't think of New Orleans as a gambling destination, right? It's something that you can do while you're there, but that's not why you go there. And I, and I don't think that if you had a casino in downtown Houston, just one, and remember the state regulates all this, right? They're in... in um, in Louisiana for non-tribal casinos, and that's a whole nother ball of wax legally with the tribal casinos, but for non-tribal casinos, there's only one license for a land-based casino. All the others have to be on the water. So the, so the casinos that are in Shreveport, those are boats that are on the river and they're attached to hotels that are on the land, which is kind of a cool setup like the the, uh, the horseshoe there in, in Bossier City. Uh, and in New Orleans, Caesars Entertainment has the one license for the land-based casino. That's the big Harrah's that's there in the downtown. And it doesn't screw up the whole downtown. It doesn't, it doesn't shape the downtown. It doesn't define the downtown it, even a little bit. It's just one of the other things that you can do there. So if they're open to that, I think that that's something that a lot of Texans would support. But here's the problem. Lieutenant Governor Patrick is not for this. He's not for casinos. He's sort of indicated, and this is uh, from some reporting I did earlier in the year, um, privately he has told some of the sports betting interests that he's open to a conversation about that, but that he doesn't want it to be online, which of course is what all of these sports betting operators want to be able to do, right? DraftKings and Barstool and whoever else, uh, you know, BetMGM and all of them. And when Patrick was asked, why he doesn't want it to be online. And what they would do, by the way, is they would have retail locations. There might be, uh, you know, somewhere that uh, you could go bet on the Cowboys, you could go bet on the Texans or the Astros or whatever. And you might have a retail location that's either in the ballpark or near the ballpark, something like that. A real cool setup for all that. Patrick was apparently asked why he doesn't want it to be online. And he said he didn't want kids doing that on their phones. 
Yeah, yeah, we're we're past that. And, and one of the things it he said so. in the past seems so. Yeah, one of the things he said in the past too. You know, and he said this on air with uh, Chad Hasty up in Lubbock. Uh, he ended up saying that like uh, he didn't think the votes were there in the Texas Senate. But but that's mm-hmm. why you have all these gaming interests kind of pouring the state with money. And like again, they're they're making the emphasis. They're trying to make them you know, resort destination type things, which sounds so much different, sounds nicer, right? But it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's what you're talking about. Imagine in Houston, you know, having something like on on Galveston, you know, Bay somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, close enough to Houston to get and get to the big city events and stuff like that. Go to an Astros game, hit the casinos, hit the beach, kind of make it like a, a more of a, a resort type thing. That's what they're looking for. That's what the gaming right. interests want. They want that kind of a thing that they think will open up billions because wouldn't that be better than driving to Lake Charles. No offense to the fine people of Lake Charles, but Houston and Galveston look a whole hell of a lot better than going to Lake Charles. I'm just going to say. You know, for people, I mean, I I do like Lake Charles as well, but I will say this about having a, you know, having it in um, Las Vegas, having it at uh, a location that you have to make sort of a decision about your whole day if you're going to go there. Yeah. Right. It it does keep a lot of people from doing it. Right. It's, it's, and, and that's been an argument for a long time that folks have made is like, is look, um, people might want to gamble. They might enjoy gambling. But for a lot of people, there is a self-control issue. <laughs> and the fact is that if you can only really go do it, if you have to make a special trip, then people will do it less. So we'll hear all these arguments as it goes forward. But you did kind of rock their world with that uh, with that reporting, Jeremy. Um, did you see that? And so much was going on this week. It'd be easy to forget. And there wasn't a big screaming headline about it uh, that uh, that Ted Cruz, our very junior senator, was on The View this week. And he was bragging about that on his social media. I saw where he was uh, he was promoting the fact that his uh, his 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 dressing room because they put for the green room. They put uh, they put your name with a star when you get to the show so you can kind of chill in there and go in there and change into whatever you want to change into. He was bragging about the fact that nobody had vandalized his name yet on the, um, on the door at the, at the view. Um, there were some people upset that he was there though. Did you see that there were some protesters in the crowd yep. and Whoopi Goldberg had to shut them down because she's trying to have a conversation with Cruz and it was getting a little heated. And then people in the crowd start chanting something at him. And for a story of this magnitude, I will only turn to one news source. Here is the coverage from Entertainment Tonight. Inflation has one cause and one cause only. Ladies, ladies, excuse us. Let us do our job. Let us do our job. Whoopi Goldberg shuts down protesters on The View. I like to be as surprised as you all are when I come back to work. Things went off the rails during a live interview with Ted Cruz Monday, when protesters in the audience interrupted the senator's remarks with loud chants about climate change. We have seen trillions and trillions of dollars spent by Joe Biden and the Democrats. Just last year, last year, the federal government took in $4 trillion in tax revenues. Most money in history we've ever taken in. Yeah, and Whoopi, she wasn't standing for it. Ladies, ladies, excuse us. Let us do our job. Let us do our job. We hear what you have to say, but you got to go. One thing that's cool about Entertainment Tonight or maybe Inside Edition, any show that's sort of in that, uh, you know, real showbiz way of, of doing news, they'll take a moment that was 20 seconds and just kind of replay it over and over. Did you hear that just yeah. then? It was the same moment again. And there was, it was a, here's, here's Whoopi shouting at the people. And then they'll say, and then they'll just reintroduce the same thing and say, Whoopi wasn't having it. And they, you know, show her once again, saying the same thing that y'all have to shut that down, Jeremy. Well, well and, and can I just say the word off the rails is probably it was a little, not what was happening. You know, I watched the interview and like it, it annoyed right. the <laughs> interview a little bit, but it certainly wasn't off the rails. It was like, right. you know, it, it, slightly it, slowing the train for a second, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely not off the rails. Uh, it was my understanding that they had to cut to a commercial break to get those people out and then come back. So when there wasn't the shouting from the crowd, uh, Cruz and Whoopi got into it about Trump supporters who still insist that the 2020 election was stolen. Here's the thing. We may not like when Republicans win, but we don't go and we don't storm. We don't try to change. But we'll go to the, we'll go to the we don't do that. 
Did, did I miss an entire year of Antifa riots where cities across this country were Antifa burning and, and police cars well, were being yeah, fired? I guess you did. Your position is the left doesn't engage in violence, really? No, they wanted to nuke our friend Mike Pence. Like, we how didn't do we do, make you sense just of that? accused us of doing something we didn't do. Oh, whoopee. You have to understand when you're talking to someone who has worked as an appellate attorney, he's going to bring notes. And so you saw on the show, as as uh, Whoopi is saying, that you know there was no denial from Democrats about any elections ever. Uh, Cruz reached into his suit, uh, suit coat pocket and he pulled out these notes with headlines about Democrats who have been upset, very upset, about various election results. Okay, look. She sat there while, while Donald Trump Hillary was getting Clinton sworn says in. Trump is an illegitimate Two president. Hillary Clinton right. says the it's election is stolen from you. Hillary Clinton in 2002, George W. Bush was oh, selected, not elected. Work. Joe Biden, <laughs> Al Gore was, was elected president. So Joe Biden... Very constructive conversation on the view. I, <laughs> I think, Jeremy, that I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think that for the um, immediate moment, it's maybe not the best venue for Cruz that, you know, these are people who don't like him and everything. But if you pull back, remember, uh, Braddock's first rule of politics, always pull back and look at the entire chessboard. Right. If you're on the view and you have Whoopi and the other more liberal hosts attacking you, and you are the guy who is, you know, really giving them the business. And, you know, you come there and you argue with them and you forcefully make your case and all of that. You get to see where conservatives who like Cruz would like that, right? That they would, they would like that he goes and he fights with these people, he confronts people. And Cruz has always tried to, you know, frame himself up as the conservative fighter, the constitutional fighter. And all of this, of course, with his bus tour and with him going on The View, we know what this is about. This is about Cruz 2024. Yeah, this guy needs to remain newsworthy for the entire nation, right? You know, it's like when you look at, you know, as they start thinking, if President, if former President Trump doesn't run for president again, you know, like who are the candidates? Ted Cruz wants to be on that short list, right? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, right now, Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott in South Carolina and all these other names are kind of getting all the attention. And, you know, Ted Cruz is like yelling on the view. Don't forget about me, y'all. <laughs> I'm here, too. I want to be president. I think I should be the next stop yeah. because I finished second. In his mind, he finished second to Trump. And so, like, he's supposed to be the next one well, up, like mm -hmm. Mitt Romney was, you know, to John McCain, like John McCain yeah. was to George, H, uh, George W. Bush. And so that's the way the Republican Party is supposed to work. So Cruz, right. you know, thinks he's next up and is out to try to make that case, uh, even though we're, the, the Republican world seems to be all over Ron DeSantis mm -hmm. right now. But again, it's right. early. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, his case has to do with being the runner up, yep. right? I mean, he, he will point to he'll say, look, uh, Hillary Clinton was the runner up to Obama in 08. So it was her turn at some point. Uh, you know, Biden had been a runner up for many. He ran for president many, many times and, and you know, finally became the nominee. Uh, but you're right. I don't know that that's the way it works anymore. And, you know, after the presidency of Barack Obama, who had a meteoric rise, to say the least, right? It was, in 04, he was a state senator from Chicago uh, who gave this speech, heard around the world about the red states and the blue states. There's a reason that uh, John Kerry picked him to be the keynote speaker, right? I mean, they had him sort of already being groomed and uh, being, uh, you know, set up for that kind of a run, that kind of success. I remember in 2005, uh, Senator Obama was one of the, uh, you know, one of the VIPs who visited alongside, and this was interesting, Jeremy, alongside um, former President George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush. Hillary Clinton at the time was a senator from New York and her husband, former President Bill Clinton. Those folks were visiting the evacuees at the Astrodome in Houston after Hurricane Katrina. And the one who kind of seemed um, out of place just because he wasn't from the area at all uh, and wasn't a former president, right, was Barack Obama was with them, right? So there, his profile was already being built up at that time. And he, you know, got into office um, as someone who had sort of a 
short political career before that. Now, he had been an organizer in Chicago and everything before that uh, and a professor. Uh, but I think after Obama's quick ascendancy, there are so many people and, you know, Trump, one of them as well, no political career before being president. A lot of folks think they can just go for the brass ring right out of the gate. Right. And that's and that's the same with Cruz. He was, he, I mean, his political career is, I mean, if he, it, right, at this point, it seems like it's been going on forever, at least for those of us who have ever had to cover him and speak to him. It does seem like it takes a long time to get through a conversation with Cruz, but 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 it's, it seems like he's been in office for 20 years, but he also just got into office back in, you know, in the last decade in 2012, and he wants to go straight for the presidency. He was basically running for president then. And he had never been elected to office before. He was he was running for president by the time 2014 came around. He was already, you know, kicking the tires on that. So, yeah, there's no secret about what Senator Cruz is actually doing. Well, yeah, in, in presidential elections, they like people have heard me say this on the show a million times, but, you know, 2024 is a lifetime away. You know, yep. at this point in, you know, before the 2008 elections, Rudy Giuliani was way ahead in every poll and everybody thought he was for sure going to be the Republican nominee for president. You know, it's like he was like all the energy, you know, back then and Hillary and he was going to yeah. face Hillary Clinton. Of course, it ended up being Obama versus McCain. And we never heard about Giuliani again until right. Trump mm -hmm. came around. So it's just like, mm -hmm. you know, people who may be already coordinating uh, DeSantis as the Republican nominee, but we got a long way to go. <laughs> no one knows. Let it play out. You yes. got to let it play out. It's possible that I have never been as prepared for an election to conclude as I am right now. That, that's enough. Get your get your vote on. You can vote this weekend. This is the only weekend that you can vote, by the way, uh, because uh, after that, we'll be done with early voting after next week, and then it will be on to election day on November 8th. If the numbers are low, it's you who is to blame if you didn't go vote. So get it done. And well, it is. It is you. who it, You are the one who, who, who screwed it all up. If the election goes in a way that you don't like, and, and I say this all the time, I'll give you another sermon here. If you don't vote, you are allowing other people to speak for you. You are transferring your power to people who do go vote, right? Because... What you do when you vote is you transfer your power to the person who is elected to then go do the work of the state and of the country. So get out there and make your voice heard. Going to a rally doesn't do it. Going to a Harry Styles concert or to the Chicks or to Casey Musgraves, all concerts that I would happily go to, but that doesn't get it done. Go vote. All right. Now... <laughs> Well, and, and on my, that, and on that, may I yeah. add, it, it's gotten to but the yes. point now where there's a Lizzo show in Houston, and I was getting all these mm -hmm. reports back from people that said oh, yeah. she did not bring up Beto. So now we're at the point where like people go to concerts to see if anything's happening and feel like they have to mm -hmm. report back to me. I got three text messages from people at the Lizzo concert who don't know each other to tell me that she did not bring up Beto. Well, I'll say this: it's about damn time that you had a concert where. Politics didn't come up. There you go. Some of you, some of you will get that reference. If this is your favorite show, you know it is. How are you not subscribed already? What you need to do is tell three friends to also tell three friends and they should tell three friends to all subscribe to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com and go Strohs. We'll see you next time.